Welcome to How Do You Write? I'm your host, Rachel Heron. On this podcast, I talk to authors about how they write, what their process is, and how their lives fit together. I'll keep each episode short so you can get back to writing. Well, hello, writers. Welcome to episode number 362 of How Do You Write? I'm Rachel Heron, and I am absolutely thrilled that you are here today as I'm talking to Nikki Payne, who was a 100% delightful dose of awesomeness. We talk about making a slide deck of awesomeness to remind you how incredible you are as a writer. Um, Oh, we also talk about using fight scenes to write sex scenes. And also uh, she's a cultural anthropologist, which is just the coolest thing ever. So that is coming up in the interview section. Please stick around for that. What has been going on around here? Well, I finally have the how to publish in today's market, traditional versus self-publishing course live. It is live, y'all. I have worked on this for months. Um, I put everything that I know into it. And it's just been uh, a real labor of love and time. And I'm so excited that it is out there in the world as of today, as I'm recording this. So today, because I can, because this is my podcast and I get to do what I want on it, I'm going to give it a little ad read because it might honestly be something that would be helpful for you. So here you go. Uh, How to publish in today's market, traditional versus self-publishing. Do you desperately want to get your book published, but don't know where to start? Or are you still writing your book, but wondering how you will get it into readers' hands when it's done? As you know, I am a longtime publishing veteran and an expert in both traditional and self-publishing, and I'll help you chart your best course forward so that you avoid my many mistakes and achieve success. Do you want to aim toward a traditional New York publishing deal, or are you drawn to publishing independently? In this course, which I've taught at UC Berkeley and Stanford, as well as retreats and conferences around the world, you will learn what you need to know about going either route so that you can make your best informed decision regarding your writing career and learn what's fact and what's fiction in today's ever-changing publishing landscape. You will get my magic query letter formula and learn how to write a compelling synopsis. You'll learn what you'll need to work with editors and what the difference is between a good cover and a lousy one. You'll learn what parts of marketing are essential and what parts you can let go. Find out about distribution and hear the real nitty gritty about what authors actually make money-wise. You can go to rachelherron.com slash publish to watch a free preview module on myths and mindset. And in that module, I talk about, can someone with no connections still get a traditional publishing deal? Will self-publishing a book kill your chances at a traditional deal later, which will make you more money, self or traditional publishing? So that is free to go watch. That's the little video, Myths and Mindset. You can find that at rachelherron.com slash publish. And in this class, you're going to figure out exactly what you need, no matter which track you decide to take toward publishing your book, you will complete this course prepared and ready for publishing success. The course, like I said, is at rachelherron.com slash publish, but Hey, all of my patrons get 15% off. So if you would like that discount, go to patreon.com slash Rachel first 
before you grab it. Okay, that was a long ad read, but I'm really excited about it. I hope you can hear that in my voice. This is a course I am really proud of because there is a lot of hard-won knowledge that has not been easy to come by because I have done things wrong and um, awkwardly and not perfectly. And I know what's going on right now today. Well, the other thing I didn't say in the ad read is that this is an evergreen course. And because it is not a live course, there's no live component teaching. It's all um, given to you in the course in the form of videos and PDFs. Uh, Because of that, I will be able to update all of the modules when they need to be. So when you buy the course, as things change, the course will stay relevant and current. And that is really exciting to me and really important to me too. So um, all of the details are over at rachelaren.com slash publish. There's a seven day money back guarantee. Like I said, you can get that discount by becoming a patron at any level. And I would love to have you join and learn. So that is up there. And, And now I'm going to stop talking about it and talk about the writer who is here with us today. By day, Nikki Payne is a curious tech anthropologist asking the right questions to deliver better digital services. By night, she dreams of ways to subvert canon literature. (laughs) She's a member of Smut You, a premium feminist writing collective, and is a cat lady with no cats. Pride and Protest from Berkeley Penguin is her debut novel. Y'all, you're going to love this conversation. Please enjoy please get some of your own writing done and then come tell me about it. I wish you very happy writing. And here we go with the interview. Well, I could not be more pleased to welcome you to the show today. Will you please share your name and pronouns with us? My name is Nikki Payne. My pronouns are she and her. And we are already bonding. So this is going to be a fantastic episode. I'm so excited to you to talk about writing. Your new book is Pride and Protest. And it's your debut, if I am. It's my first book, baby. And it is it out yet? Is it out in the world? It's yet? Out, it came out in November. Okay. How did it feel? I I feel like I was being perceived, and everyone would see how twisted I was. <laughs> that scene with the thing. What were you thinking? You know, um, valid was, fear. It, it it was a real fear, and yeah. then when it came out, I just released it. I, I had to do that Zen thing where you um, try to, you know, detach from this thing that you put out in the world. How did you do it? Why you go crazy? How, how did you actually do that? Um, I said, okay, number one, and um, try to own, try to own both, like what I knew the book could have done better, and what I knew the book did really well, and mm. it just kept me really grounded. Yeah, I think staying grounded is one of the hardest things to do as a writer because as writers, we are born to have flights of fancy and to always have the biggest dreams. Um, So yes, beautiful. Can you share your writing process with us? When and where and how does it all get done? Because you're a busy person. Oh, yes. Um, When it comes to my writing process, to me, it's all about finding the right vibe. I really love music, so I try to find songs that remind me of a scene or a certain character's personality to get me into the zone. And I try to write every day, even if it's just a little bit, but Mm. I love music as part of my process. 
And I love using music to like kind of jump off and think about my characters. How do you find the music? Do you, do you like seed a song and then work around it? Or are you hearing songs and you say, oh, that goes in and it goes into the playlist? Yes. Uh, so I'll hear a song and like I was on this like huge George Strait kick and I was listening to the song Marina Del Rey and I'm just like, you know what? This is, this is them. You know? And I just started to think about that because I'm, I'm writing the scene where it's the resolution and they're like kind of getting together. And I kind of wanted this Marina Del Rey vibe, you know, um, in a hidden beach under a golden sun, <laughs> she's oh, put a blanket that. that we let. Yeah. So it was just, it's like one of those, um, I use music a lot to um, start my writing process and to enrich it. And you have words going, you can have the words, the songs with words that doesn't bother the writing process. No, not to me. No, not to me. Absolutely not. I never think it is bothering my writing process. And then I don't understand the sentences I wrote because half of the words are actually the words that were in the song that I accidentally <laughs> typed instead of Apple. I type, you know, anguish if that's what they're You're saying. just like just, typing in Tupac lyrics. It doesn't. Yeah, it does not. I mean, that could work, but it doesn't work. So. Yeah. So I really, I envy people who can have the lyrics going at the same time. Do you ever do that thing um, that I do sometimes where I will get in the zone with the song and I'll just put it on repeat and listen to it oh. for 400 times? Oh, my children know of this horror. <laughs> Please, mom, stop. <laughs> Please. I can't hear this one song over and over again. Do you want to know what this song is right yes, now? On I do. Rotation? Yes. Hold on to your hat because I'm going to be controversial here. Okay. Grease 2, Michelle Pfeiffer, Cool Rider, Unmatched. Unmatched. <laughs> that is not what Grease I expected. Two. And your kids, your kids do not even know what to do with you. They, they're, they're just like, please stop. We don't want to know about a cool rider anymore. <laughs> but, but it works when you find the song that unlocks the brain, you stick into it. <laughs> That is amazing. And it's so funny too, because it's usually like the kids who are like, can you please stop playing that song? But it's you, it's the mom. Yeah. Perfect. No, the kids are, <laughs> the kids are begging me to stop. And do you do Absolutely. most of your writing at home or do you have an office space? Do you like quiet apart from the music? Do you not? Um, I do most of my writing in my office space and sometimes on the couch, but I do most of my writing at night mm. because like the kids are asleep. And like, I'm just thinking about things and one of like, it's going to sound weird. And that's perhaps why I like the music playing is um, like, I'll either have like Star Trek playing in the background, like the next generation Star Trek, mm -hmm. just in case, you know, wanna... <laughs> I assumed <laughs> um, <laughs> um, I, I actually enjoy having something to drown out. I don't know why it mm -hmm. helps me zero in. But the music or if it's Star Trek or if it's kids kind of running around in the background, it helps me go, that's not important. Only this is. And it's almost like a jolt of coffee. I don't know how to explain it, but it just it makes me hyper focused. Thank you for explaining it so clearly. I have always wondered about that. I spent too long um, dispatching fire engines before I went full time writing, but I was always listening for things and everything was always an emergency. So now, like mm -mm. if the microwave dings. I'm like, what was that? I got to no, know the house is burning down. So yeah. I'm, I'm the opposite. And, but, but I do have to drown things out. So I use the white noise super loud and yeah, that allows me to yeah. 
to do the focus, but yes, Star Trek next next generation. Perfect. All right. What is your biggest challenge when it comes to writing? Uh, First of all, pick a number. (laughs) (laughs) Writing. Yes. Writing. (laughs) Writing is my biggest challenge as a writer. (laughs) Um, I think for me as a writer and, um, and as an author, that professional side of writing, it's kind of knowing what matters and what doesn't, right? Um, what should we do on social media? How hard should we be hustling? How should we yes. talking? How should we be talking about something? How should we um, should we be focusing on writing and letting the publisher do that type of work? Mm-hmm. It's so hard for me to calibrate um, how much to put into something, or how much um, of something if something comes out and it's a huge flop, and then they'll say like, well you know, you really should have spoken with booksellers. And I'm just like, well, it's me. Once again, it's me. <laughs> I'm the problem. It's me. It's, and, 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 you know, you know, in your heart that you're not, because if you'd spoken to all the booksellers, you would have made 12 more sales. No, there's, <laughs> there's no predicting this industry. So I, I always, you know, I love it when, when that thing comes back to us, but yes, knowing what to focus on. I've got my pen in my hand. Cause I'm making notes on that. How have you decided what to focus on? Um, for me, I've been trying to focus on what is bringing back like dividends and that's not like financial, just kind of joy. Mm -hmm. So I would say engaging with booksellers has been super exciting because they're always, they're um, excited. They're always having events and they're like, Hey, do you want to do this like really cool thing? And I'm like, yeah, let's hang out, you know? And And are you talking in person or on zoom? In person, oh, in person, nice. in the DC area, um, there've been so many. There's so many really cool bookstores in DC. East City Books, um, just like Loyalty Park Books, Mahogany Books, and they're like they they do really cool events. And for me, it's it's given me the opportunity to meet my reader, and I'm like constantly pretty surprised at what that means. Like who my readers are, you have the sense of who you're writing for. And then when you meet them at an event, you're just so pleasantly surprised at at who they are. So I would say building those relationships with booksellers, Barnes and Noble, and being able to meet readers, that, that's honestly paid off the, the most for me. That is gorgeous. And I love the way you're like glowing when you're talking about it too. I can tell I, you really, love, really enjoy it. I love it. that. I, I really do. Oh, what is, what is your biggest joy when it comes to writing? Is it related to that or different? Oh, um, my biggest joy when it comes to writing is um, I think of sometimes an entire book will start off with a scene that I was just obsessed with writing, you know, and, and like, and like kind of powering out from that scene. But my biggest joy is when I'm able to execute as close as possible to that kernel of an idea that was in my head. And even if like the whole book is kind of meh, like if I got that scene off, I'm just like, kids, she did it. <laughs> Everyone gather around, you there. You know, what day is it? <laughs> like, I did it. I did it. I did it. Where does that saying tend to, to be in the book? Do you start, are, are, is it more the start of a book or the ending scene of the book or the dark moment or? That has really, that is really, really varied. It's really varied. Um, for for Pride and Protest, I I wanted to write their meet ugly so bad. Like I just couldn't wait. But I knew that I had to get to them, like introducing them as people before I got to the scene that they meet. Because yeah. it's famously a retelling of, of um, Pride and Prejudice. And 
And I wanted to put my spin on, you know, this incredibly awkward ass meeting, you know, what I mean? and how it could go wrong. And I was just, I was so excited to write that. Oh, that is so very, very cool. All right. Can you share a craft tip of any kind with the writers Ooh, listening? Craft tip. Um, I have many, many, because I just kind of keep them in a little folder. Um, I would say never be afraid to um, experiment and like take risks with like your genre, like writing and reading, particularly in a different genre or from a completely different character's point of view Mm. has shocked me. Like sometimes I'm writing a scene and I can't like get, and I can't like get the vibes right. And it will shock you to just stop that scene and write quickly, like in the cat's point of view. Or like the point of view of like the cabinet that they're the TV that they're watching. I love that. So weird because um, they're seeing something or experiencing something from a completely different perspective. And then you can throw that all that away and write the scene that you want to write. I've also been able to get like a a ton of inspiration from other genres. Um, For example, when I was nervous about writing um, like sex scenes that felt Mm -hmm. like embodied one of the ways that I learned how to do that um, very early was actually from fight scenes and thrillers. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's just, it's so visceral, right? And they're like reacting to the touches and they're falling back and like things are happening and it's just so physical. And you're just like, this guy's getting his ass beat, you know? <laughs> and, and you feel it. And I want it to, um, to be as evocative as that, to, for it to feel like visceral and like these people are touching, you know? Yes. And, and I, I wanted that. And so like, I would say like the big craft tip for me is just like reading and writing outside of your genre, writing outside of your character's POV will always, always shock you and surprise you. That, that concept is blowing my mind. The whole looking at the thriller fight scenes, because it is, it is exactly that it's touch and reaction and it is. it's, and it's high stakes, just like we want sex scenes to be. They have to matter. They can't just be for sex. They have to be. Yeah moving something, changing something that can never go back to being the way it was, which is what yes. we're doing in fight scenes and thrillers. And all that's the, exa- oh. No, that's exactly it. Right. When the, when the hero is down and the, the big boss is just like pummeling them, you know, that after that, there's a turning point yeah. or something ha- has to happen where this guy gets up this one last time, you know, and he's all bloodied and, you know, things are about to change, but it's after that contact, that, that physical moment, you know? I have goosebumps all over. That is something I have never thought of and it may have changed things for me. Thank you so much for sharing that. I also, I, I just am obsessed now with the idea of writing from the cabinet's point of view because that reminds us that the point of view, there's not a static point of view ever no, anywhere. No. And when I was first point starting writing, a point of view is a construct, just like gender, just like anything else. Everything depends on who is seeing, who is witnessing, who is hearing. And what their background is in the cabinet is going to have a point of view that the cat doesn't have, that the dog doesn't have, that the pen on the table doesn't have. Yes. And um, that's so exciting. And sometimes it's, it's, it's not an entire scene. Sometimes it's a paragraph, three yeah. lines. And you're yeah. just like, oh, wow. They're not even facing each other. Like from the cabinet's point of view, you know what I mean? They started off starting to get coffee and they yeah. stopped, you know, or like just something that, you know, a cabinet would notice, you know? You are striking me as a very playful writer. Is that something that comes naturally to you or is that something you have to work at? <laughs> um, that is, um, it's very much giving um, baby of the family energy. 
I am the youngest and I have always been um, a kind of playful, but here are the rules. Let's see what they look like this way. I always like to play with the rules, bend the rules, see what I could kind of get away with within confines. I think anyone who was writing a retelling is a little bit of a trickster. Um, So yeah, I absolutely playful and I love it. The baby, the baby. See, I'm the eldest. So I'm always about the got to do it right. You don't get in trouble. And I'm always having to remind myself to play. But my little sister is always like, screw it. Just do what you want. (laughs) We're doing it live. (laughs) Let's go. go. All right. So what? this is exactly what my oldest sister said. She's just like, well, we have to like kind of figure out how to do it within. And I was like, why? Like, why do we have to do that? And she's just like, you just... You live differently. I so. spent. I recently spent one week trying to figure out the best way to paint my office, and I like. I was stressed about it. Stress. It's been 15 years since I painted anything, and my wife is like, "Just get the paintbrush out and start painting. You can't break it." I'm like, "I can't. I can't." So um, to watch that energy is really, really beautiful. And then I just painted, and it was it was fine. Um, what is the kindest thing that anyone's ever done for you in your writing career? Oh, so many. There's, there's so many things. I, I think love the kind of thing anyone has ever done for me in my writing career is just, oh, like, I don't know, just believing in me and my work. From my agent to like my, the folks at Berkeley to my critique partners, like those little notes in the top corner of my manuscript saying, I love this, so funny, or keep going. Like, Someone who thought that the work was worth continuing. It's just such a kind thing for someone to say, um, I believe in this. You should take this further, right? Um, keep everything. going, keep going. Yeah, it's just such a, a nice initial moment for someone to say like, hey, um, I, I, this brought me joy. I wish you well. And mm-hmm. I just, I don't know. I feel like sometimes it's easy for us to, read work and read things and think like, oh, this, this got here. This, this is really, um, this, this is kind of okay. And it's gotten all these awards or, you know, how there's ways mm-hmm. that we can be kind of small about mm-hmm. what we're reading. And sometimes it's easy to be small about mm-hmm. what we're reading, even if we enjoyed it on some visceral level, but just like reading something with generosity, the way that people have where my book is just, it's, it's incredibly kind. You know, it really is. What is the kindest thing you've ever done for yourself as a writer? Oh, I need to work on this a little better. Um, I, one of the, the kindest things that I've done for myself as a writer is, <laughs> okay, again, this is just between me, you and the walls. I love, I love the wind up here. I can't wait. <laughs> I built this slide deck. Okay. And I call this my Kanye deck. And in this Kanye deck, I mean, you know, what a, he's struggling. He's a problematic individual. Um, however, that enormous amount of ego is like still stands. <laughs> so like building this deck of like CP reactions or good re- reviews that someone has sent to me or like, uh, any type of art or something that someone has made and I built a deck and it's just what so I call smart. a Kanye deck and sometimes when I'm writing something and the scene is terrible or I get some review that just says like what was she even thinking 
why would you touch a classic? I hate it, you know? And sometimes just having that deck there, you don't even have to like scroll through it, but just having a physical artifact of like reminding yourself that your work can bring joy, has brought joy um, to people has been really helpful to me. And, um, and I think about that when I'm writing something and something feels really difficult, you know, like you've, you're like a veteran, but like if, when you are writing your debut and then like right when you're writing book two, like there's nothing to me more horrifying, maybe it's, it'll be book three, who knows, but <laughs> uh, there's nothing more horrifying than like being about to release your book two after your book one. And you're just like, oh, you know, like, you know, will you love me still? You know? yes. And, uh, and yeah, so yeah. like building out that little deck, it's just like these tiny little reminders that um, that I can do it. And I've been successful in like bringing someone joy. Uh, you are incredibly delightful to my brain. Like, it's just like, I feel like my brain has bubbles moving through it because the slide deck is such a genius idea. I have something I call the mash notes. I don't even know why we used to call it mash notes, but like, you know, back in the twenties and thirties, the the last twenties <laughs> and thirties, people talked about mash notes. There were love notes and I have mash notes in my email and I've been keeping them since probably 20, 2008 oh. or something, 2000, maybe 20, maybe 2003. But whenever anyone would say anything nice about my writing, I would really nice, not like, like light and nice, but like like goosebumps nice. I would throw it into this file and I have saved them for the rainy day um, of the worst days. And I've never actually pulled it out. Sometimes I'll dip into it and then I'll feel too weird. But I think actually pulling the quotes out and putting them into Canva and making a graphic and putting it in the slide deck so you can just flip through. That is, that is so good. That is so good. We need that. And, and it does work. It pulls you out of like, I'll never pull this off. I can't execute this. I can't, I, I have to change course. Or even if you have, you realize that you did that in the other book and look at what it did. That makes me so happy. Also, I might want to include some of my favorite one stars because I don't read my reviews, but every once in a while I'll dip into my one stars because they're hilarious. Oh, and they make something. me gold. laugh so hard. They are gold. They're gold. gold. They're not, they're not gold the very first time you get one, but, um, but, but yeah, that, but after you get a bunch of them, you're like, this is the, and you have to have that friend that you send the one stars back and forth to, you yeah. know, and putting yeah. a couple of those in the slide deck would work too, just to laugh, yeah. to remind you. Know you what my you dream know. one star is? Tell me. I just, I want someone to say like, this is, this is way too, this is way too sexy. Like <laughs> put it away. <laughs> too much, too much spite, too much detail. Gross. <laughs> I have had those reviews and I swear it drives sales. It's just, oh God! I just—it's my dream. It's, it's my absolute dream. You know? that is, that, I, I love the one stars that say uh, the, the cover came bent, terrible, terrible delivery. Oh. I'm like, come on, come. On. What is that? Oh my God! <laughs> that is such a gorgeous and generous and kind thing to tell us about. Thank you for that. I'm going to do it, and I'm going to, I'm going to it was, do it. And I'm going to let you know really how it goes. That is a great idea. What's the best book that you've read recently and why did you love it? Oh, the best book that I've read recently is this book called um, The Only Good Indians um, by Stephen Graham Jones. Okay. I loved it. It's um, because it's it's like the voice just like takes you by the shoulders and it's just oh. like, listen, sit down, bitch. And, oh, and you're just like that. sitting there and it just won't let you go. Mm. And 
Um, I'm a, a cultural anthropologist by trade and the book is infused with so much like Native American folklore. And it's really just like catnip for an anthropologist and it's horror um, and gorgeous and gripping and vibrant. And I, I, I loved it. You're I giving, stayed up. You're giving me all the catnip words because my in my other life, the, the, the road less traveled was cultural anthropology. That was what I wanted to do. That's what I mean. I did it in college. I did as much as I could at the little college I went to and just... An anthropologist always knows. Let me tell you, like there is this bent, there is this way of looking at the world that yes. I think anyone who's interested in anthropology like already has. Like they're always like that person that's just a little outside and can wanting see to watch, the- wanting to talk about it, wanting to glory in it, wanting to laugh at it sometimes, and wanting to, <laughs> you know, all of it, all of it, wanting to to honor it. Yeah. Yeah. There's, 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 there's magic there. And that's like part of the reason why, like a lot of my um, books are about this kind of multicultural interchange, like individuals coming from wildly different cultures and having to interact. Like the anthropologist in me will never get tired of that moment of oh. like the encounter, the cultural encounter where someone has to, you know, kind of see themselves differently. And my book coming out, um, in Sex, Lies, and Sensibility, the um, heroine is an African. It's, Great name. It's, it's, Great title. Fantastic title. <laughs> um, it's a Sense and Sensibilities remake. And the heroine is a Black woman. And the hero is a Native American man. And she comes into this land that she uh, has. And she's flying to Maine, her and her sister. And she's like, oh, you know, here, oh, look, it's my land. And the Native American uh, like park ranger who was there is just like, we're doing this. <laughs> Would you like to talk about that? <laughs> exactly. And like, as this black woman, she has to like actually kind of deal with, you know, she's like, moi, can me, you know, a colonizer. So it's like this, this moment um, that I just love to play with. And again, like always infusing my like anthropological lens into romance and like having these people kind of interact and ultimately fall in love. And when does that one come out? November again? That is November. It's yeah. it's November again, November 23. Yeah. November 21st, 23. Oh, that's so exciting. Will you tell us a little bit now about Pride and Protest? Oh, okay. Pride <laughs> and Protest. This is my um, Pride and Prejudice retelling. So if you just like, if you've watched Pride and Prejudice and like that hand flex is like worked through your brain like a hundred <laughs> times, yes. this is your book. <laughs> but even if it hasn't, even if I've read so many people who are just like, one of my favorite, speaking of Goodreads quotes, one of my favorite Goodreads quotes um, about Pride and Protest was, I didn't give a blank about about Jane Austen. Now I do. <laughs> and like, that was the wow. thing. Like people who'd never even heard of it. So I'm going to say whether you've heard of Pride and Prejudice or not, it is essentially um, about two people who start off thinking very wrong about each other. It's enemies to lovers. It's the OG enemies to lovers. Mm-hmm. And Lisa is the uh, a DJ in DC. She's the only DJ who gives a jam. And she's going to protest this huge event. And she's going to show these gentrifiers, like kind of what she's made of. And she's like dragging out her signs and she's getting, she's about to do this protest. And who does she bump into? She turns around and she sees this um Asian male, and she doesn't code him as um, being the CEO. She codes him as being a part of her community. So she's just 
spills all of her entire beans about what she's going to do. And of course, he's a CEO. And so they meet terribly and they spend the entire um, they spend the entire book learning about themselves and learning about each other. And ultimately, which I find is like the greatest thing about both Jane Austen and like the potential for this book is that they were able to like really lovingly change their minds about Mm -hmm. each other. Um, And like through the chemistry that they have, through the interactions that they have, they're just able to be bold enough to say like, I was wrong about this and you, and I want to, I want to be right with you, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Gorgeous. That's gorgeous and perfect. The thing I really love about enemies to lovers, um, I realized I heard somebody say this recently and it kind of codified everything for me that why I love enemies to lovers too much, so much is because that they start out as equals. There's no, there's no power dynamic or, or problem in there, which, you know, can be fun to play with too, but, um, but enemies to lovers means we are both right. And we are both correct. And we're not going to move. And then they move and they shift and And they they grow. And then they move, right? I mean, to me, it's like getting them, even if you absolutely know that an enemies to lovers romance is going to end in a cer- certain way, the way that they get there is, yeah. is the journey. That's, that's the journey. That's, that's and that's the thing is. that I love about Pride and Protest. The journey was fun, was enriching, you know? Oh. Where can we find you online? Where can you find me? Um, you can find me on my website, Nikki Payne Books. My newsletter is hilarious or so they say I can't I'm gonna sure. go sign up for it immediately <laughs> <laughs> it's ridiculous um I'm also on Instagram Nikki Payne books as well and on TikTok Nikki Payne romance I should warn everyone that my Instagram and TikTok they're just screen fan cast thirst traps like just like <laughs> please, please don't expect anything serious I'm just thirst trapping my characters <laughs> and I've gotten so many followers just posting their straps. So there <laughs> that's that's the secret, folks. That's how you get followers as a writer. Just fantastic. There is nothing, nothing wrong with that. <laughs> yeah. Nikki, it has been an absolute delight to talk to you. Thank you so much for being here today. I appreciate Thank it. Thank you. Thanks so much for joining me on this episode of How Do You Write? You can reach me on Twitter, Rachel Heron, or at my website, rachelheron.com. You can also support me on Patreon and get essays on living your creative life for as little as a buck an essay at patreon.com slash Rachel, spelled R-A-C-H-A-E-L. And do sign up for my free weekly newsletter of encouragement to writers at rachelheron.com slash write. Now go to your desk and create your own process. Get to writing, my friends.